the previous Sunday, we talked about Jericho and shrinking the wall of Jericho. And one of the things that stood out, that's uh, Joshua chapter 6. One of the things that stood out as we looked at um, Jericho, the fall of Jericho, and how God gives instructions that are not, are not regular, are not something that you would say, really, would this kind of thing cause that wall to fall? That was one of the things that stood out in that sermon. And it got me thinking how, you know, when you were growing up, I don't know if you had this game where you divide yourselves into two groups and then each group is supposed to go and take a captive from the other side. Did you used to do that? Did you used to play that game? Huh? How many of you guys need to play such games? You only play board games, you know. Uh, you, you had toys. Some of us didn't have the privilege of having all the toys. Or we, we are such a big number that we can divide ourselves and decide we are at war. Okay? So you take that side and I take this side. And anyone who crosses that line, anyone who crosses that line will now be a captive of the other side. It's a game we used to play and uh, it had a lot to do with like a battlefield. Now, a lot of us don't realize that it's the same thing that happens. That in every battle, you have a line beyond which the territory changes. In every battle, you have their side and our side. The reason Kenya is as big as it is is because the boundary line for Kenya has gone so far. The reason Rwanda is as small as it is compared to Kenya is because the boundary line has gone so far. But must we be limited by where our boundary line stops? Must we be limited by where our boundary line falls? Are we able to push that battle line and say, beyond this, you're not coming? Jericho, to many of us, symbolizes complication, difficult, and then God's, God's idea of how to take on Jericho is even more confusing. But it should open our eyes that there's, there are different ways of moving a battle line. We've just come from a, a, an interesting session of the young professions asking, can Christians dominate the marketplace? Meaning the Christians have a territory, but are they dominating? How do we move the mind from thinking that this is as far as I go? I'm told that there's an elephant. When it was much younger, there was a peg, a big peg that was tied. It had a rope and a peg that was stuck in the ground to keep it there. A circus elephant. But as it grew bigger, they kept reducing the peg of the, that kept it down. Why? Because it had gotten so used to thinking that that peg was too hard for it to move. It did not even realize that the peg had been removed and it would still take the same circle. Many of us are like that elephant. We are not moving because in our minds, this is, this is as far as I go. 
This is as far as my strength can take me. This is as far as my connections can take me. But we can move the battle line. We can move the battle line. We can move the territory that we've taken on. It's not something that is new. Kindly go with me. And that's, that's, that's the gist of my sharing tonight. How do we shift the battle line? Meaning that you keep defending that border. Have you ever been to the border? Anyone who has ever crossed? You know, some of you are so used to just being between counties. You think that's the whole nation. There's a thing called a border. It's imaginary, but we know where Kenya stops and where Uganda stops. You go to Migingo and declare which side you're on. And you will know where the line is. But one thing about borders is they always have army men. Not the policeman, not the askari with the rungu. They have an army man with a gun. They have a strategy in place to guard that line. And those are some of the things I want us to look at, to look at tonight. How do we take on more territory? And how do we guard that territory? We don't just take it on and lose it. Then that's what would be useless. Are we together? It's a very simple script. And uh, I'd like us to, even as we take on the message today, I pray that your heart will be open. Because I believe that as I share with you, the Lord will begin to tell you, you know that that territory you can actually also take. You know that this one you've been afraid of, you can actually take. So kindly listen in. You have two ears. Tell your neighbor you have four ears. The ones that are seen and the ones that cannot be seen. Take note of both. Sawa, sawa. Nisesi kusikia. Na kuna kitu kiliniambia. Yani, how did that happen and you didn't get it? Amen? Amen, amen. So, let's, um, let's look at uh, the story of David and Goliath. The Bible is full of many stories about war. And each of them, God gives an interesting strategy. But there's something about the story of David and Goliath. Those of you who haven't read the story, I'll quickly say, David was the youngest of Jesse's sons and has been left to be in the field with the sheep and even when Samuel the prophet comes to pick a king from the household of Jesse, nobody remembers there's another son until he says, are these all your sons? Yani, that's, what the, that's the kind of question it takes for you to be remembered. But this young man comes once again to a time when there's war. Israel's border, so to speak, is being challenged by one Goliath. The Bible describes him as the hugest thing. He's not even a human being. You know when they describe you in meters, his legs were these meters. They are not talking about centimeters. That, that's like wrong, you know. How does he move? And yet there was such a man. But I love David's response. You know the story, right? But I want us to look at something. 
I want us to go to the time when David is facing Saul. And Saul is trying to prepare him for the war. David has spoken to, to the men around him and asked. Let, okay, let's just take it there from verse 26. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the Lord, of the living God? That's the first time he's saying it. I want you to listen to David's mind. He's beginning to reveal the way he looks at battle. Okay? He's charging and asking what will be given to this one because I can take this one. No, give it to me. Some of us look at where and we're like, I, I think my mother is calling me. We have a saying. We have a saying, and Joy knows it, that when you go somewhere and you served food and now you finished eating your food and you need to find a way to go home, you say, I think, Omukanduanyeta. They are calling me at home. Yeah? Even though your home is like four kilometers from there. And that time there are no phone calls. But many of us are like that. But David had a different mind. David had a different mind. And he, he brings us to a different understanding of what battle is. I know we like to downplay the place of God in our lives. But I want to tell you, Jesus is the ultimate warrior. And we are yet to see that. And the people answered him, verse 27, in this manner, saying, So it shall be done for the man who kills him. Let's continue. Now, that's too small. Even these big eyes have challenges. Yeah? <laughs> now, let me read from here. Now, Eliab, his oldest brother heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was aroused against David and said why did you come down here and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness that's his reputation that's his profile few sheep that's your place I know you're proud and the insolence of your heart for you have come down to see the battle Eliab is revealing something about David that most of us don't pay attention to. Just continue the next verse. Now David said, what shall be done? Let's fast forward to the conversation between David and Saul, please. So David has been presented to Saul. Let no man's heart fall because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Now you know a nation is desperate when they are listening to a... Was he 16 years old? They are listening to him like, okay. That's how bad it was. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you are a youth and he is a man of war. From his youth. But David said to him, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came 
and took a lamb out of the flock. I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by, the, by its beard and struck and killed it. He's giving his profile, which nobody can even prove or deny. But they are so desperate to get this loud Philistine out of their faces. What does Saul decide to do? Let's dress him in the king's armor. You remember that part? Yeah? So David is dressed in the king's armor. I'm fast forwarding because I want us to pray. It's not about storytelling tonight, right? So he's dressed in the king's armor and he's ready to go for battle. But he can't move. The things are not shaped for a guy his size. They are too heavy for him. They are constraining, constricting. And David does a beautiful thing. He takes it off. Let's fast forward to the, to the conversation between David and Goliath. Are we together? Tell your neighbor, Usilale. Sikule mandazimingi vo. Next time. Sour. So the Philistine came and began to draw near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only youth, ruddy, and good looks. I like to do it like that. Eh? He had good looks. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? A time needs to come where your weapons insult your enemy. Because he hasn't seen the wisdom in them. And the Philistine cast David by his God. Moving on. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, Now this is where our sermon begins today. You come against me with a sword. Read with me. Let's read it together. One go. You come to me with sword, with a spear, and but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. David is not putting himself there as the warrior. David is putting the Lord before him. David is not putting his armor or his skill of killing the bear. He's pointing out that this battle is actually not between me and you. It's the Lord fighting. How many battles have you taken on without that understanding? That that battle was not really meant for you to fight in the first place. So how do we shift battle lines? 
The first thing we need to do is to understand the enemy. We need to understand the enemy. We need to understand that this is a person who doesn't fear God. This is a person who is outside grace. This is a person who doesn't care. This is a person who wants to make a spectacle. And therefore, you need to come with a mind that understands where is the weak spot. Goliath had armor everywhere except here. Just because it's big doesn't mean it can't come down. Just because it's big doesn't mean it can't come down. Why? Because we are dealing with not our armor, but the Lord of hosts. I love the Psalms because they keep talking about how big the, the Lord is, how his hands, there's a scripture that uh, Elder Lucy shared with us on Sunday, how he measures the mountains yeah? and the hills. I just love that. Do you see that picture? Yani, the way your Toto plays with toys, that's how God carries mountains, sand. That's how big he is. He can crush it anytime he wants. But unless you see him that big, you will fear every war. Unless you understand the relationship or the difference between the enemy at hand and the God that you're presenting, you will fear. One of the things that paralyzes our movement before the throne, paralyzes our movement in ministry, is fear. When we need to be asking God, show me who you are. That I might speak with confidence. Show me who you are. Moses came to a time where he had to tell God, man, we, we've, we've parted the waters. Yeah, we've turned snakes into, you know, we've given, given manna, water from rock. But show me your glory. I need to see you. Like, that's not enough. There's a hunger that Moses had. And I pray that that will be your hunger. That you not be satisfied with manna. You not be satisfied with water. You not be satisfied with the little things that come. Or even the encounter of yesterday. Just because you saw him a certain way yesterday doesn't mean you finished the guy who carries mountains and oceans in his hand. And Moses only got to see his backside. And that was such a privilege. Father, as we worship you, as we look to you, give us an understanding of what it means to serve the Lord of hosts. Give us an understanding of what it means to rely on the Lord of hosts. Open the eyes of our understanding, O oh God, to see more than just the armor of the enemy, but to see the size of your army, O oh God, in Jesus' name. So understand your enemy. That's the first point. How do we move battle lines? Understand your enemy. Christians have been accused of being devotional, if I got the word correct. Dull and churchy. 
And yet David shows us that that's not exactly what it means to walk with the Lord. It makes you fearless. It makes you take on the thing that needs to be rescued. You don't walk away when you find someone in trouble. That's being a coward. You don't walk away. You do something about it. Because the God you serve is a restorer. The God you serve is a redeemer. The God you serve is much more than just walking away like the Levite for the Samaritan guy was suffering. Amen? Alright. Moving quickly. So David now knows that this enemy has no fear for God. So he has put God as his shield. Isn't it? Now one thing that I find very interesting is that the other thing about moving your battle line is you have to now choose your strategy. Isn't it? You have to choose your strategy. You're not just going to go. Why did he go to the river and pick particular stones? He picked particular stones. There are things God has given us in his word that cannot miss. You don't need a talent to love. Even the beggar on the street has a crush on someone. That's when the Father has given to all of us the ability to love is a weapon that we underestimate. But love has never been quenched by hatred. Love has never been quenched by bitterness. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love has never been quenched by the loudness of everything else. Eventually, love prevails. Love is a gift. Love is the reason Christ went to the cross. First, uh, John, John 3.16 God so loved that he gave to a people that did not care. There is something that's been giving me so much happiness. The fact that when, when God looked at the challenge of man and sin and the devil, he could have decided to come and rescue us like a God. He could have decided to come and rescue us as an angel. And yet he chose to come as a man. He chose to come as a man. A man who got tired. When you look at uh, John, John chapter 3, when he's talking about, to the Samaritan woman. Around the, chapter 3, chapter 4, he's talking to the Samaritan woman. And the Bible records that he, being exhausted, he sat at the well. He was a man. And the disciples had gone to the market, had gone to the village to look for what? Food. They come back and they ask themselves, did anyone give him food? Why? Because he was hungry. He was a man. He had to be taught 
by his father Joseph. He had to be nurtured by Mary. I'm sure she spanked him a time or two. He wasn't too holy. The Bible talks about him growing in wisdom and stature. Meaning that you, have, you can't progress into wisdom if you haven't started with some foolishness somewhere. Am I my blaspheming before heaven? <laughs> the son of man, he constantly refers to himself. But he did not choose a weapon that was much bigger than we could reach. He chose to take on the devil as a man. The Bible says he did not take equality with God, something to be cherished. He set it aside. He did not take his access to the angels, something to be used in the garden of Gethsemane. He set it aside. He did not even make miracles anyhow. The wedding at Cana, he tells his mother, Woman, my time has not yet come. Meaning he has the ability, but he's not flossing. Let one of us have a gift of turning water into wine. I'm telling you, all the bottles will just be bowing and changing into wine, even when it's not necessary. <laughs> eh? We'll have an, uh, an oversupply of Holy Communion. But he contained so much so that when you get to the battlefield, you know you can take them on. When he was born, he didn't go for royalty. Went to the manger. He even says that the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He walked for distances. And yet he could have just and a plane. All these things that we are making now, many years ago, he already had in him. The Bible says nothing was made except by him. And yet he reduces himself to the level of being within the thing he made. And subjecting himself to being tortured and cursed by the very ones he came to save. The weapon that Jesus took on was love. And he pushed territory that has lasted much longer. When did Jesus die? And yet we still talk about it. The gospel that was only somewhere in Galilee has made its way here. The battle line that was only between him and the Pharisees on the face of it has been pushed all the way here. Paul says, and this gospel shall be preached to the ends of the earth. From one generation to another, the psalmist says, you proclaim to them the works of the Lord. You cannot proclaim what you haven't ex uh, experienced. So fast we understand the enemy. How many battles have you taken on and you're fighting the wrong person? You should be on your knees, but you're not shouting much. Hmm? You haven't understood the enemy you're dealing with. And you belittle the royalty that you have on a shouting match with a conductor. A man who sweats for 10 shillings and walks home after drinking it away, only to sweat again tomorrow. 
God have mercy. Is it that David was weak? Allow me to stay here a bit. Is it that David was weak? That David could not have just gone in his own strength? And yet he consulted with God. Let God lead the battle. Let God lead the battle. Let's look at um, first, no, Second Samuel 17 verse 8. Second Samuel chapter 17 verse 8. This is a time when um, Absalom, I believe, has taken the throne from his father. There's a challenge for David's throne. And the camp is getting divided. This is a testimony of one of the advisors of Absalom. Listen to how he describes Absalom. You know, he describes David to Absalom. You know your father and his men that they are mighty men and they are enraged in their minds, meaning they are sick. Like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field and your father is a man of war and will not camp with his people, meaning he's a strategist. That is a man who is planning on how to take on David. That's David's profile. Now let's look at 1 Samuel 30, verse 7 and 8. Tell your neighbor, Silale. Watch him, Chezo, wewe. Silale. 1 Samuel chapter 30 is a time when David gets home after war and they find that the women have been taken. The children have been taken. All their treasures have been taken. Remember the profile of David. Okay? But I want you to listen to what David says. And this is the time when the people now want to stone him. They want to stone him. The very guy who led them to war. That's human beings for you. Jesus says that he knew their hearts. So he did not entrust himself to them. Though they clap for him. But he doesn't take them that seriously. Anyway, moving on. So David is in trouble. In his own camp. But he's a strong man. He can take them on. But this is what he says. He said to Abiathar the priest. Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod. Move on. Verse 8. So David inquired of the Lord saying. Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered, pursue, for you shall surely what? Overtake them. And without fail, how does a man that's described as a bear still inquire of the Lord? How does a man who has tore lions that's the beauty of who David was. You want to move battle lines, acknowledge that you're not as strong as Yahweh. Yes, you're strong. 
But there are wars that only Yahweh can take on. And every day you remember that. Even the small ones, give them to him. He doesn't get tired. You don't have to prove yourself. David gives us a picture. From the time we started from him with Goliath, to 2 Samuel, to 1st, that whole time, there's one habit David had. Inquiring of the Lord. Set the Lord before you as your shield. Set the Lord before you as your weapon. Jesus comes as a man to tell us that it is possible to push any battle line with love. So the first thing is, we know our enemy. Second thing is, we choose our weapon. The third thing which we've just covered is we know our armor. Who is our armor? The Lord himself. Paul describes him in the armor of, armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth to hold everything together, the sword of the word. I keep telling people that it's not important that you don't remember the reference. Jesus gave us an example. He just said it is written and the devil left. I'm terrible with scriptures. In case you're wondering, why isn't she telling us where it is? I expect you to know where those scriptures are. Hallelujah. It is written that there's also the sandals of the gospel of peace. And that there's also a shield of faith. Amen? All that is the Lord telling you. You don't have to do it the way they do. Businessmen, they may downplay the gospel in your teachings, but I'm telling you, there's no other name by which any authority will be given to you to dominate than the name of Christ. How many know what a watchtower is? Do you know a watchtower? Every time you go to a barracks, eh, they always have that tower that's up there. And it looks like a nice place for viewing things. But it's also the most dangerous place if a sniper checks you out, you're done. But the wisdom of a watchtower is that you don't look at things on the face of it. You have to rise up to a higher level to understand the battlefield. Our next strategy is choosing the battlefield. You don't fight every battle where it happens. You don't have to respond to everything immediately. Amen, ladies. With love. Love conquers all things. You don't have to fight every battle. You don't have to correct your husband immediately. To make a point. No, if I don't tell him now, he'll forget. Forget what? You're married for life. Even tomorrow is as good a time. Understanding the battlefield. Understanding where to take the war. So, we know the enemy. We know the weapon. We have the armor. But now, the wisdom of the battlefield. The Lord has given to us the most precious gift on earth. The Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit can speak to you about anyone, even the one you fear the most. I love that he is not limited or constrained in time. And that's why the Bible says that Jesus received him in full measure. The Father gave him the Holy Spirit in full measure. And he's given that to you and me. He's given that to you and me. So that every battle that presents itself to you, presents itself to me, we have a counselor by our side. We have the epitome of wisdom by our side. We have a person who knows the the heart of the Father. We have a person who can tell us about the will of the Father. The one that reconciles our small minds to the huge mind of the Father. To say, you know, if you take it this way, you'll have access. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. By whom we speak in tongues. And demons flee. But we have to be willing to surrender our opinion, our weapons, our armor, our ideas, and rise up on that watchtower and see it from the Lord's view. See it from the Lord's view. That way you push the battle line. That way you say, you know what? There's a weak spot over there. Every conflict you have in family, every conflict you have at the workplace, there's always a weak spot. There's always a weak spot. And are you ever amazed at how God just brings a solution that's so easy until you're like, we should have slept. Why did we fast? You know, you fast, you and then someone walks into your house with a bag of food, just say, yeah, I was passing by, I just thought, let me leave this here. You're like, Jesus! You know? And yet heaven ordained that if I feed the birds, I will feed you. If the lilies are not as well dressed As anything else God has in store for you, why do we worry? Every battle has a, back, a, a, a strategy. Every battle has the right weapon for it. Every battle has the right armor. So tonight, as I conclude, I'd like us to take on our battles differently. I'd like us to surrender our, our armor before the feet of the Lord and ask and rise on that watchtower and say, Lord, what's the idea here? The Bible describes him as the brazen snake that was lifted up so that everyone who looks to him may be healed. He says, so as the snake was lifted up in the time of Moses, so will I be lifted up The Lord gave himself as a ransom. The Lord gave himself that you and I don't have to lose any more territory. In fact, we should take on more and more and more. Which field are you working in? That belongs to the Lord. The Bible says, sit at my right hand. Until I make what? 
You know that scripture? The kingdoms of this world, it is written. The kingdoms of this world, the kingdoms of my Lord, isn't it? Your footstool. Jesus has your feet to take over that territory. And he has taken yours and yours and yours. That's how he's making them his footstool. Every territory you take on in the name of the Lord belongs to the Lord. That's why he's a king. In a kingdom setting, everything belongs to the king. All of us are tenants or peasants. So we submit ourselves to the king. Because one thing about kingship, the state of your subject reveals the glory that you carry as a king. And he's not about to be embarrassed. He's not about to lose any war. He's not about to fall short. David says, will I be left to rot in the grave? I want us to look at Philippians. As I conclude, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 11. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 11. And this should describe the way we look at our lives. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Continue. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but for the interests of others, because that's what the Lord did for you. Continue. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming to the likeness of men. The Bible describes us as Lord and the angels. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Even death on the cross. He could have said, let's do a firing squad so that I die quickly. But he had to go through the nakedness. He had to go through the lashes on his back. He had to go through the crown of thorns on his head. All of which represent your freedom. There's no part of you that was left untouched. Every single one of them was paid for. You can take on any battle as a man. With the Lord as your strategy. The Lord as your shield. The Lord as your armor. You can take on any battle. And therefore God has highly exalted him. And given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. And of those in heaven. And of those on earth. And of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He comes down as a man. 
he goes back up as the name by which everyone can be saved. Sometimes the strategy that God gives you really embarrasses you. Do you imagine, back to the beginning, the Israelites marching around Jericho? People think that it was a, a triumphant march. It was a circumcision of pride. It was a circumcision of our reputation. It was a dealing of everything inside. To do it not just once, five days, Joyce. Five days of embarrassing ourselves. Oh my goodness. Try not to look up, Miriam. Try not to look up. Just keep walking. I imagine. And yet they kept walking. They kept walking. Because this God had taken them from Egypt. He had taken them through the Red Sea. He had taken them through the thirst, the hunger, the shoes that were not wearing out. What is one walk around the world? worth anything. With that kind of understanding, if God had brought them immediately from Egypt straight to Jericho, that wall would not have fallen. They were a stubborn lot. Thank God for Israel. They give us hope. No, seriously, they are stubborn. So there's hope for the rest of us. There is a script that God has been showing throughout the Bible. He keeps lowering the standard, low enough for anyone who believes in him to become a son of God. For anyone, it's not too far for you to change jobs and actually head that department. It's not too far for you to buy that property. The question is, are you willing to ask like David, shall I pursue? Shall I overtake? Will I recover? Most of us don't want to hear that. We're like, oh my goodness. But God has given him a name above every other name. The Bible says that the name of Jesus is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are saved. As we close, I'd like you to know something. That every time you go into prayer, and you don't know how you're going to pray about this, climb that tower. That tower is Jesus. Get into him and say, Lord, I'm getting into this battle, but you're my armor. If your mind can come around that point where you see him as your armor, where you see him as that tower, that the righteous run in and the enemy has to stay far away. You will take on more territory. You will be less fearful. You will do that ministry that God has been pinching you. You keep shifting and telling him, you know, you know, like Jeremiah. And then you tell him, you know, you know, like Jonah. And then you tell him, you know, you know, like Moses. There are many cousins in the Bible to show you that all those excuses don't work. So the sooner we get on with the assignment, the better for us. Lord, we lift you up today. As the one and only strategy, my God. You are as effective as you are then. You are effective today, my God.
You are as effective as you are then. You are effective today, my Father. Take some time and lift him up in your mind. Lift him up in your spirit.